0: Hi, I'm Alex DiMarco and I disagree with Dave.
1: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Thinking Out Loud. The good news is that this intro is going to be short. The bad news is that for its entirety, you're going to have to listen to my nasally voice because I'm dealing with some sort of cold. I am joined for the second episode of I Disagree with Dave from my friend or with my friend Alex DeMarco, who has been on two previous episodes. Episode 21 is Right or Wrong, The Wrong Question, where we talk about Christian ethics. And then episode 49, titled An Inerrant Idol, where we talk about the inerrancy of scripture. So, to get a better view of who Alex is, you can feel free to go back and check out those episodes. Today, we are talking about a topic we disagree on that is the nature of same sex relationships and God's instructions uh, on those. And We both said in the interview at one point, uh, but for sake of time, I'm just putting it up front here. We are two straight men who are talking about this, and I think it is worthwhile to hear the opinions of gay Christians and where they have landed on this. And so I encourage you to do that. And I think Alex would encourage you to do that as well. One of the reasons why we decided to go forward with this without having an explicit gay voice uh, be a part of this conversation, it can be a bit tedious and burdensome for gay Christians to have to justify or relitigate things that they've probably wrestled with for so long. And so uh, to... move that burden from them we are having this conversation but again we do encourage you to check out uh there are several resources that will be in the show notes that you can check out from a variety of standpoints uh alex specifically recommended same-sex unions in pre-modern europe by author john boswell changing our mind by david gushy Uh, i mentioned god and the gay christian by matthew vines and bad theology kills by kevin garcia all four of those books would come from like an affirming side, pro same-sex uh, marriage and relationships. Uh, but there are other viewpoints as well that I would encourage you to check out. Heavy Burdens, uh, and you can even go back to episode 55 where I interviewed the author of Heavy Burdens, Bridget Eileen Rivera, who is a gay Christian but holds to a a, a celibate lifestyle because that's what she feels like God has called her to. Uh, Jackie Hill Perry is a, another... Uh, Christian who ha, uh, has same who is same-sex attracted, uh, she wrote a book called Gay Girl, Good God, and uh, she is actually married to a man, has children, so uh, her story is an interesting one. Sam Alberry is another gay Christian who has chosen a life of celibacy. He's written several books, Think his voice is helpful in this conversation as well. So, uh, gay Christians are not a monolith any more than straight Christians are. So there is plenty for you to dig into in this conversation. But I appreciate Alex coming on, having this conversation with me. And like all the episodes in this series, it's not a debate. We're not going point for point back back and forth. I'm just trying to model a humility that we can uh, listen to Christians who disagree, or listen to people who disagree with us on important issues because I do think this is an important one and uh, there is maybe some tension in this conversation uh, because I think Alex and I both want to be faithful to what God has called us to. We we both want to be loving to everyone Uh, and so trying to figure out how we best do that. Alex very much challenges me in this episode and I appreciate that uh, from him and hopefully you appreciate this conversation as well. Alex was gracious enough to stick around for a bonus segment as well, so that will be for our patrons only. You can listen to it at patreon.com thinkingoutloudpod. Alex and I, with Easter coming up, we decided to talk a little bit about atonement, what, what happened on the cross. I had just finished reading a book called Forsaken, the Trinity, the Cross, and why it matters, and we look at uh, different Atonement models, uh, the the most common one, penal substitutionary atonement. But what all happened and was accomplished with the cross and the resurrection, and so we we take a look at that. I thought it was an interesting conversation, and I'm sure you will enjoy it if you check it out one more time. That's Patreon.com/thinkingoutloudpod. You can become a patron for as little as two dollars a month to enjoy that and so much other bonus content. All right, you're tired of my nasally voice. Here is an ad for anchor.fm and then my conversation with Alex DeMarco. All right, I'm here with now third-time guest, Alex DeMarco. Uh, he joins the echelon of rare three-time guests on Thinking Out Loud. You may remember him from episodes 21 and 49. There we talked about ethics and uh, inerrancy, respectively. You can go back and listen to those episodes if you want to get a better idea of who Alex is and where he's coming from. Uh, I've made him introduce himself two times already, so I I won't make you do it again this time, Alex. But uh, as he said just before we started recording, I think those two conversations kind of lead into the one we're going to have today, uh, where where we talk about ethics and inerrancy. And then how does one of the ways that I think those issues kind of live out practically is in this conversation where we'll be talking about same-sex relationships uh and as this is part of the i disagree with dave series alex and i uh disagree to some extent and i guess we'll flesh out just how much but alex thanks for joining me today thanks for having me on dave excited to get into this with you um to start let's uh just kind of like lay out where we would fall on uh, same-sex relationships and or like LGBTQ plus kind of in general. uh, These are and have been for decades, I guess, hot topics within uh, Christianity. I'll ask you this. There tends to be like a binary that's given of affirming or
0: non-affirming.
1: Are you comfortable like being... I'm one of those definitely, or do you want to nuance it a little bit?
0: yeah i I definitely I realize there is a spectrum that it's not entirely binary that people have there are nuances with where people land, but i but for myself, at this point in my life, I'm very comfortable being on the far affirming end of of that spectrum okay uh, yeah. So, so yeah i uh, one like helpful spectrum that I came across back in twenty twelve was um by William Stacy Johnson in his book. Uh, same-sex relationships and religion, law, and politics. There was a second edition that came out in 2012. That was like my first year in seminary. And he has, I can't remember all of the points on the spectrum, but I know that like he has on one end of the spectrum is the prohibitionist view. And on the other end of the far end of the spectrum for him is what he calls the consecrationist view, which is this argues for, like, the full religious blessing of same-sex mm. unions pretty much exactly the same way as we would, um, like, heterosexual unions. Right. Just, like, the idea, you know, not every relationship is a healthy relationship. But there is, these are contexts in which we can encounter God's blessing, uh, in which we can, like, live out discipleship But um, and... Uh, at least that's how we would perceive it as Christians, right? That we can live out our discipleship of Jesus in these relationships, that these relationships can be in some ways a witness to, uh, to Christ. And that there's, and on the far affirming side, kind of where I'm at, I would see no difference in the ability of a same sex relationship to function in that way. And the way that like heterosexual relationships can function in that way.
1: Right. Gotcha. I'm not on, I wouldn't consider myself on the uh, exact opposite side of that spectrum. I do, I think I can understand why if I'm not fully affirming that there are certainly people who would be like, well, then I don't care, <laughs> then you're a prohibitionist. Um, but I, I do want to, to nuance it a little bit. Um, and we can get into like the, the details of what I'm wrestling with. And people can go back actually and listen to the conversation I had with uh, Bridget Eileen Rivera um, and her book, uh, Heavy Burdens.
0: That was a great conversation. I'm, I'll, I'll also plug that.
1: Um, That was episode 55, um, so you can go and listen to that. But in her book, she kind of makes the argument for while she holds to a traditional sexual ethic, um, that she views it as a secondary issue for the church. And therefore, um, it shouldn't be kind of policed. It shouldn't be prohibited in in church polity and for me that's kind of where rubber hits the road for me as a pastor my disposition kind of the way i hold any of my theology and really just world viewpoints is to live and let live like i think these things i'm happy to discuss those with people and if we disagree okay <laughs> like it's not it, it's not up to me to convince someone that i'm right or wrong or whatever right but I recognize that as someone who has a say over church policy, that I can't do that. That I'm, yeah. I'm necessarily making a choice and taking a stance um, yep. by what I advocate for our church to do, uh, and that has real-life implications to uh, same-sex Christians who would uh, want to or would consider joining our church, being a part of our church, uh, and how that plays out. So uh, I, as I read scripture, I do land on a. Traditional sexual ethic that uh, marriage is between man and woman, sex is for marriage. Um, that's where I land. Part of me wishes I didn't have to police that as <laughs> as a pastor. Uh, and but uh, I'm not asking for sympathy. Uh, I I chose this road. So so that's uh, big umbrella. That's kind of where where we land now. I'm curious, Alex. For you, um, especially our stories differ. Uh, obviously, we're two different people, so they're different. I grew up uh, in the church. Um, and you know, I I remember I was like five or six praying outside of my grandmother's house, the uh, sinner's prayer or, or whatever. Uh, but like church, I don't know a life without being in the church. Whereas you were, uh, I think you've described it before as like a youth group convert. You were 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. So you came to faith a little bit later. As pertains to this topic, what has your evolution of thought been?
0: yeah that's i think that's a really good way to go into it because I, I haven't always been uh, affirming where i am where i am now um uh it's definitely been an evolution but uh, like you said i didn't grow up uh, in a christian family i we didn't like pray in meals or any, pray before meals or anything like that um but my mom went through a like a seeker phase when i was in like late elementary school so we went to unitarian universalist church where she could like explore lots of different and and we didn't go all the time. Like she would go more often than we would, but sometimes I would go. I would have like some memories of like a beautiful Christmas service yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I remember that being kind of a neat place, but it wasn't like a big part of our lives. And and then my mom eventually landed at this local Baptist church that was pretty much like middle of the road evangelical. It wasn't Southern Baptist, it was like Midwest Baptist. Yeah. And um and I ended up there too, or I ended up going to that youth group. When I was like in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, um, and like ninth grade is when I became like self consciously like I am a Jesus follower now like this is this is me. Prior to that, like when I was growing up, I I would say that like I didn't think really about same sex relationships that much. Like some of this comes out for everybody I think in puberty in a way that that is <laughs> before. Yeah, but still like some lessons trickle down when you're younger, and I think one of like the lessons that probably trickled down for me when I was younger that I just absorbed from the culture or whatever was that gay was like something you didn't want to be. Like it was, and and, and and thankfully, I think this is very different for kids growing up now. And, you know, it makes me like, I, I guess I'm old enough to say something like that now. <laughs> 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 but like when I was growing up, and I imagine it was similar for you, like there was just this sense that like, it, I, I wouldn't think of it in moral terms, but I remember getting the lesson that, to be gay, to, to have like the attractions to people of the same sex was somehow, especially as a, as a man or like as a, was as a boy, but you know, aspiring to be a man, I think yeah. there's a particular kind of pressure there where it was, it was portrayed as like a, a defect in masculinity. Mm, yeah. You know, I wasn't thinking of it in moral terms because it just wasn't presented that way, but it was like, Oh, you want to be a man. This is, this is a defect of that in some way you're opening yourself up to bullying or whatever else you're, and we know when you're kids, there's so much a drive to fit in. Right. Um, and it was like an ultimate not fitting in. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't gay, so I didn't have this struggle. I didn't have those uh, attractions, and I didn't have the same struggle that, you know, act people who do, do have. But then when I became a Christian, then I started learning that, like, okay, there's Christians aren't about this, and this is, like, considered against God's uh, design for things and and i think that i was a little i, mean, I accepted that um but i it was always a little uneasy hmm. because what first it, it felt like it went against what first my first experience of the gospel and like what first attracted me to the christian community it felt like it ran counter to that because what because what was so attractive about the christian community at the youth group that i became a part of Uh, was that it was a place that was accepting of difference and like accepted people for who they were uh, Mm -hmm. and didn't you know not that you don't like encourage people to like become healthier versions of themselves or something like that but but in school at the time like life was very cliquish like I was a skateboarder we did not hang out with like the music kids we did not hang out with like the the football kids or whatever. I hung out with my like skateboarding crew and, and that was that was who I hung in that was my group, you know? Right. Everyone kinda stayed in their groups. But then at this youth group, like those boundaries went away, right? The yeah. between you were and not that you weren't that. You were just you were accepted as that. Right. Like one of the super cool things that the the youth pastor at that church did was so me and a number of the other, like, skate kids from the neighborhood would skate in the church parking lot. And instead of shooing us off, he actually, like, let us come skate in the gym. Mm, he, yeah. like, set up ramps and rails and stuff. Or we were able to, like, bring stuff, and he had a place we could store it, and we could skate in the gym even. Right. which was so cool. And um, and then that and that was – and that stuck out to me as, as a sort of – I don't know. It was inclusion. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and when the youth group in general, there was just a sense of oh, like these people want to hang out with me, and I'm gonna hang out with them in spite of like us. You know, this dude's super into football. That dude's into like race cars or whatever. I don't know <laughs> what kids were in at the time. And we were able. There was uh, a belonging that transcended those differences, and so that was really attractive to me. Um, and uh, and and a concern for the people who are left out. Honestly, mm,
1: yeah,
0: you know, a concern for people who are left out. Was a was a big part of it, and and um, kind of in that context, I just encountered a, a gospel of like not judgment, but like acceptance. And I know that those that sometimes in these conversations, like j- big principles like that, are are overdone or made to be like these exclusive, obvious binaries. You know, right? So I don't want to do that, but um, but there's some truth in it in the sense yeah. that. The, the the truth of the gospel, as I understood it then, was was not judgment. It was, it was meeting people where they are and caring for them for who they are.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like that kind of disconnect between uh, kind of this overarching message of the gospel being uh, a radical inclusion, uh, and then the treatment, or at least the the view of uh, those who were same sex attracted, uh, did that disconnect? That hit you at that age or this is something that kind of as you
0: grew older, looking back, you were like, yeah, that that was off. I think it made me uneasy at the time. So so at the time and I'm like freshman, sophomore, this is when I'm, I'm a new Christian. I'm learning what Christianity is about. I also moved at the time from like the suburbs of Chicago to Phoenix. And I was like trying out new Christian communities there and whatnot. And trying to, like, learn about this, trying to be like, okay, if I'm going to do this Christian thing, I want to learn all about it. And and my thought at the time was, you know, I encountered God here, so this thing must be true. In a kind of good sense, which I think a lot of people do that, especially young people, but probably people in general.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I think the cliche is true. God meets us in unexpected places. Yeah. I Maybe sometimes churches are the most unexpected places. <laughs> all that to say, like, I started learning. I, I definitely ex- accepted... Uh, the prohibitionist view and I took it on for myself uh, as something that was loving for for people because I thought that um, Kind of or to back up, I guess what I what I learned is that there's kind of there's a smattering of Texts in the Bible that seem to speak seem like they may speak to this and They say no to it. They say no same-sex pairing is not okay Um And so, you know, I was walked through those, I saw those. You've got you know, you've got Genesis one read in a kind and two read in a prescriptive normative kind of way. And um, Sodom and Gomorrah, the Levite whose prostitute ends up being chopped into little pieces, that really gruesome story, but they wanted to rape the Levite first for the townspeople, kind of like an echo of Sodom and Gomorrah to those and the, the couple of Leviticus texts, there's, there's, but there's really not that many, but anyway, there's the right. couple of Leviticus texts and Jesus and whatnot. And we can talk about those if you want to, but so you got these texts and then there's, so there's that. And then there's also a sense of um, like a natural law ethic. I think I wouldn't have termed it that way at the time, but this was presented to me as um, we can look at nature and history and, and identify a kind of pattern, a design that is, reflective of an original intention that we want to be in line with and uh not diverge from and so those two things that kind of natural law and just like putting together what they think they see from the text and then what it, the way it was presented to me and i accepted it because again i'm like you know i've experienced what i feel is ultimate reality here mm. in this christianity thing so i guess they're right about stuff so i guess they're, they, know, they know what it's about you know right and they know that apparently part of this is that for human beings like the the intended design is is male female pairings and that you know we know things are broken about the world like that's very clear and maybe this is one of the things that are broken and sometimes right. love attractions um that aren't in that design and maybe those things aren't even good for them right because that's right. the way it was presented to me and i'm thinking you know if this isn't good for people it's not loving to pretend that it is right and I did want to love people. And I I, and I do, and I expect, I expect a lot of Christians are in that place. A lot of folks who are in a prohibitionist place are come from a, a place of good intentions. Right. Um, at least I, sur- I, I do think that is the case. I don't think that's universally the case, but I do think right. it's the for me. And so at the time, like, that's, that's what I accepted. That's what I took on. I, and I wasn't shy about that. You know, I had, I had friends and co-workers at, the, at my high school jobs, you know, who were gay and who would ask me, oh, you're a Christian. What do you think about this? And I oh, "I don't, I don't think that it's in line with God's design. I think it's probably not a healthy thing, but I was all it was always uneasy with that. Yeah, yeah, And that was always to me something that felt like something I had to say hmm. instead of like something that really felt right.
1: Yeah. I, I would say like to this point, our we're mapping similarly. You know, my upbringing was was the same. I grew up uh, in, a, in a United Methodist Church, um, but I mean, I don't know. We're talking thirty, almost thirty years ago now, twenty plus years ago. Uh, so the United Methodist Church was different twenty years ago than it is now. Yeah. But e- even still, the the United Methodist churches that I'm around uh, are still more on the conservative end of uh, of that spectrum, but. Yeah, I really I don't remember it any like moments where it was like explicitly demonized or even like uh, preached against per se, but it was very much in the air. Like you kind of just you knew, you know, that this is not this is not God's design, that this is bad. Uh, I the the school, the high school that I, I went to, a Christian high school, uh 7th through 12th grade, they were non-denominational but of the baptist ilk and uh probably more southern baptist than the baptist church you went to even though they weren't actually a part of that denomination um and so they were less shy about their their thoughts there uh when i was going there uh our senior trip was to florida but we wouldn't do disney because of their support of lgbtq uh mm. community yeah. um i remember there being kind of like it was probably like focus on the family probably led the charge but uh, there was like a a move for christians to ban or like not support disney because of that uh and mm-hmm. that kind of being like a soft rule in our house for a little bit but we never like really like, talked the movies yeah yeah um don't don't watch the movies don't buy the movies um and that was that, that was be... never like a hard rule in our house but like i remember it kind of like being in the conversation. But yeah, so like that was kind of like the air that I I, I swam in and then never really questioned it, kind of like you're saying, like, but it wasn't really until uh, probably college, uh, not necessarily because of the college that we were at, but just because I was older and had experience with gay individuals that started to like bring into question uh, some of the things you question <laughs> about this. Um, so fast forward me to a point where like you really started to reconsider the view that you, you'd kind of been handed and inherited.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think college has to be the next step, right? So we both went to the same school, Philadelphia biblical university, now Karen university and uh, lived across the hall from each other. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think there they're basically in the course of doing in in the course of doing the Bible degree at Cairn, uh, which I guess I've come to call it that now. Um, I think I just, I, first of all, I read parts of the Bible. I'd never read before. Mm I learned a lot more of how it was composed than I knew before. Uh, you know, they weren't like historical criticism central by any means. I think that they, they called it like literary historical instead of like, historical critical, right? Would they say, like, literary historical? I like, think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we had to learn, like, some of the history of right. how these texts come together, and that there is there is a human history of it. Like, there is a perspective that these come from. Like, there are there are cultural factors that they're responding to, mm-hmm. and and I think learning more about that, like, evolution of scripture, um, I came to be a little bit more distrusting of of kind of the ways of handling scripture that I was familiar with that I had been taught, and I wanted, and I was looking for new ways to do it, but I didn't know how yet. Right. You know, and that was like a throughout the four years, yeah. Like the yeah. slow evolution, um, and, and issues of science were a big part of it for me. Like I grew up believing in, in biological evolution, and and I appreciated that stuff, and then when I became a Christian, I was told, "Oh, you can't do that," and I'm like, "All right." <laughs> um, and then I see why. And then, and then later on in college, I'm looking at Genesis one. I'm reading stuff like uh Pete Enns, like incarnation and inspiration, and yeah. which was a huge deal at the time because he was just he was fired from Westminster at the time for having right. written the book. And um
1: even our our boy John Walton, John Walton,
0: like Lost World of Genesis one was a big one for me at that time. And. Yep just trying to understand the ancient Near Eastern context and how that shaped the text. And, and I realized like this text isn't doing, uh, isn't making an account of like origins in a way that like a contemporary cosmologist might do yeah. doing and something w- else. And yeah, I guess just and learning about genre and, and just the human um, factors of scripture just made me feel like, Oh, this, this way of handling them yeah. is, This can't be right. Like, and And just
1: to like, I don't know, to add this point, I don't, probably most of the listeners of Thinking Out Loud don't have a problem with what we're saying right now. But like, there are some people who could hear what we're saying and be like, oh, I didn't realize Karen was like this liberal. Oh, they're uh, not yeah, yeah. or not that is not what's happening and even like you say a name like pete ends and if people are familiar with that like he might get that tag p- placed on him but like john walton is still at wheaton like oh, yeah. these are evangelical people these I mean, are evangelical people
0: I mean, and I, a little less so in recent years but like very much rooted in that world but so yeah. far still very solidly yeah. in the evangelical world here.
1: and i would add even like uh Dr. Schnicker, like Gary Schnicker, yeah, like, yeah. the Torah apprentice to the Torah, like just that reading through that and seeing the literary design of the Pentateuch is like, oh, I didn't know we were, that this was a category
0: to think about the Bible like this. Right. Um, yeah. And
1: so, no, yeah, the, no, my
0: classes and stuff were pushing me in directions. The professors didn't want me to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's for sure the case there. Yeah. Um, and. But, like, I still felt the Bible was important, but I'm like, it can be important differently. And 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 it made me say, well, if we're not handling the science in Scripture, if, if what we think is science in Scripture, like, we're not handling that or its depictions of the natural world. If we're not handling that quite the right way, are we handling its ethics quite the, way, or quite the right way? Like, right. does that always make sense? Especially because there's really odd ethical things in Scripture. Yeah. Like, really odd things. And they make, uh, you know, you look in the Old Testament, you look at Leviticus, their, their turn— um, I know there are divisions of that people make between like ceremonial law and moral law, things like that, those kind of divisions. Right. I don't know that those boundaries are always really entirely defensible, but in any case, you know, there's things like mixing fabrics that are made into are made to be a big deal. You know, even things like food prohibitions, huge deal in in Hebrew history and tradition. And, um, which we don't really attach any moral significance to at all today. And yeah. they would call that more like ceremonial significance, but it's all, all this to say, it's a different world and it's a different territory that they're responding to, uh, from the one that we are responding to, right. And I think There's no continuity, but if we don't respect the difference, we're likely to take things that belonged in one context and misapply them in ours. Yeah. And I was becoming increasingly aware of that and wondering whether there might be different ways to read scripture that would be more faithful to what scripture is doing. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. I think that's good. And I think, uh, again, what well, you know, I think our, uh, our experiences, not just that they were similar, obviously we went to the same school, but like the impact that they had on us, I do think were similar that, uh, maybe to varying degrees and depending on who you ask, but we were radicalized by our conservative college somehow. Um, to to a less conservative
0: end. Uh um they did teach us the Bible. Like there's only so much right. that you can do. Like if you dig into it, there's only so much you can do to to hide what you what people find. <laughs> right. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I think you know we started to to have more categories of ways to read scripture while we're there. Do you I don't think we have to go verse by verse of like the passages that people think are relevant to this conversation. But uh I am curious like in what way does the Bible inform how you view this topic specifically same-sex relationships today or would you say that it it doesn't
0: I I mean I think it does in a general sense because it gives me a vision of just like of of love and of like the interconnectivity of human life and that life in community is is beautiful and a place that we find God that we're encountered by ultimate reality itself and, and God, you know, like broad themes is kind of the way it works for me. It does, it does have bearing, right. But it, but it impacts the way I see same sex relationships in the same way that impacts the way I see heterosexual relationships. Um, you know, we've Chris, I think the, that in that Christianity and the new Testament give us a picture of a God who is radically willing to enter into our experience and our life and to share it and to make it God's own. And, um, that kind of that kind of thing is um echoed i think in human relationships um especially in like married relationships and committed relationships uh where you're willing to enter radically into someone else's life and and share life yeah so just like in those senses and to uh, put someone else first and find yourself by losing yourself that kind of thing and I'm thinking like Matthew 25 like you you find yourself by losing yourself in Jesus when you find yourself by losing yourself uh, in others mm, yeah. and I think that can be true of our partners romantic partners definitely of anyone in need in the world uh, first and foremost yeah so like in those broad themes it absolutely impacts the way I look at things um, but I don't like I don't proof text, I guess, and I don't take, I don't like pick particular things and say that this, you know, this Levitical writer, like made this ethical judgment and said that in our time, given the revelation of God that we've experienced, this is what we should do. And that Paul didn't, you know, when Paul says, you know, these kind of people aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. Like I don't, I'm not an inerrantist. I do not believe that Paul's necessarily right about everything he says, Um, think he's an important witness to the revelation of God in Christ, which is the one that like for me as a Christian is primary. And I try to look at the Jesus that Paul presents me with in and in broad in broad strokes. I try to look at Jesus as Jesus appears within the broader scope of Scripture. And then and then I see it as incumbent upon me to do what Paul did, what other Jesus followers did. Right, right just to say okay in light of this revelation of god's love and in in jesus what does that mean for the world and i have yeah. to figure that out mm-hmm. and i and i can only figure that out by entering into and then this is kind of like an incarnationally taught thing right entering into other people's experience yeah and try to say like okay what is your life what is your what is your experience of life uh and which has been important for like my gay friends um that I have had, you know, for me, I couldn't figure out whether what they're doing is right or wrong or good or bad, unless I hear from them, right. Your experience of life. Hmm. Because if God is um, like, as I believe the ground and power of being itself, the love that grounds and everything that we all of reality, like anywhere in reality, we experience that kind of like love and connection and wholeness is God bubbling up. And if you're, you know, I, if you're experiencing that in your relationship, it's pretty hard for me to say that that's not where God is because there's God. You know? Does that help?
1: I think that's helpful. Yeah. I. So this is kind of what I'm hearing. You can tell me if, if uh, this feels off or not, but that the Bible uh, influences your view on uh, same sex relationships, kind of the same way the Bible uh, informs your view on anything that there are these broad stri- uh themes and uh, visions of who God is, especially revealed to us in the person of Christ, um, and our job as Christians is to then live that out. And that is kind of how the Bible informs your view on this specific area, if not every area. Yeah, pretty much. This and yeah. yeah, that's
0: yeah, that's right. It's very much like the C.S. Lewis view. Like I don't know if you've read the his his book or not. His book, his essays on the Psalms. It's his book on the Psalms. Okay. I'm not familiar, but... But well, he has this he has book on the Psalms, and there's a chapter in it that's called On Scripture. Not On okay. Psalms, On Scripture. And in that, he he mentions something about not... Uh, that, that I would highly recommend that to anyone, that essay. But he talks about um, using the Bible not like an encyclopedia or an encyclical, but looking at the broad strokes soaking in it getting its mm. general like scope its general like tenor and um and, and outlook and then applying that to your own your own place yeah but yeah. you don't, like just because leviticus says you know it's an abomination for a man to man lie with a man like with a woman like you know it doesn't mean like oh well, i guess it's an mom i guess we shouldn't ever do that right or or, or or even assume that that is the same thing that what we're doing now. But yeah. that's a, that's a separate, that's yeah, a separate. Yeah. I do
1: think uh, the, the Bible project guys recently did a uh, podcast series called, I think it was like called, they called it like pillars, but like pillars of scripture and how to read the Bible. And they talk about how we typically uh, kind of the popular view or way to read the Bible is through a reference book mentality right like you're saying and how we need to break out of that yes, um so i agree with that yeah so uh c.s lewis so yeah c.s lewis uh on on scripture essay or even that that bible project series i think is is probably worth worthwhile um so here is where uh maybe we de- depart <laughs> to, to some degree anyway i the prohibitions in scripture uh, the the places people would go Leviticus um, Sodom and Gomorrah um, even Paul these are the people who won't inherit the kingdom of God um, do little for me uh, also so we we are mm-hmm. there because I think to to do what people do with those passages and same sex relationships it they often ignore other aspects of those same passages, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, I can think of two places where it's like referenced later in scripture, one being Jude, where the sexual immorality is highlighted. Um, but in the general sense that I just said it of sexual immorality, not specifically homosexuality. Um, and in Ezekiel, where we're told that the reason why they were destroyed is because of their greed and their lack of care for the poor and the foreigner. Yeah. I, I don't see anyone making that point when they talk about Genesis 19. Very right. But when what we read is homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. He also mentions the greedy and liars and a plenty of things that I am. Uh, and I don't read that thinking it's talking about me. But if I see someone who's gay, I not actually I, but yeah. <laughs> someone I Common will, yeah. will say uh, yeah. this is about you. Um, when that they're not doing that with all of the categories represented there, um, so so I think it, something else is obviously happening there rather than just everyone who this could apply to it applies to. So those prohibitions don't really do much for me. Where I'm at now, it's kind of the the positive uh, view or positive case of what is marriage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. That I think we get in scripture. What is the point of marriage? Uh, Yada, yada. So same-sex relationships, we talked about marriage. Like, do you, how does the Bible, I guess, inform
0: that? Or does it, your view of marriage, what marriage is, the purpose of it? I wouldn't say that's something I've studied very systematically, honestly, at any point. Um, But it definitely seems to me, um, so like with that caveat, Uh, It definitely seems to me that, like, the that marriage is not a fixed entity; that it is in a kind of an evolving. Like polygamy used to be okay. A lot of people now would say not okay, but and uh, you see this in the Bible, and we see it in history beyond the Bible too. But it's just sticking to to the Bible for now. You know, uh, like Adam and Eve were just kind of paired together, I guess. Um,
1: The first arranged marriage
0: yeah the first arrangement (laughs) not that there are as many other choices but depend you know i'm i'm not going to get into a whole uh (laughs) whole about mythology and how we deal with that but um all that to say like you've got that depiction you've got plenty of polygamy in the old testament not looked down upon um and there's there's just there are places where women as in many ancient cultures were largely treated as property of men um that you see that a lot um, in the prohibitions in Leviticus or, or, or I should just say it like in the legal text and I guess there is stuff that seems really concerned about you know the the dad's rights and the, the rights of the of the husbands and I don't think women should be viewed as property I don't, you know I'm very <laughs> yeah. egalitarian uh, I, I, those are good evolutions I think uh, in New Testament times, you know, you women were v- a vulnerable population. I mean, st- still are in, in some ways, um, just because of discrimination. But this is why, like, care for widows was really important, because right. widows were, did not have those same protections. Okay. And so were a vulnerable population at the time. Uh, and that, of course, goes against the kind of egalitarian norms that we have in society now. Uh, and there was in the time between like New Testament times and now there was tons of evolution in what marriage looked like. And, you know, at some times it's for rich people, especially it was a way of cementing relationships between you and other rich people, uh, whether you're like a politically important person or just a financially important person. Uh, you know, marriages where marrying off a daughter to some other person was a good way to solidify an important right. And marriage wasn't always seen as like a love thing. I know for a lot of, one interesting book that covered some of that topic, it's been a long time since I've read it, but John Boswell's Same-Sex Unions in Premodern Europe. Hmm. The Yale historian covered some of that ground. I That was really interesting. Generally speaking on marriage, I see it as something that has been like an evolving human yeah, institution yeah. that's different in different cultures and at different times. And I don't see that evolution as wrong. So I guess I don't I don't look to the Bible for a pattern about what marriage should be—that's gotcha. that, probably the, the important takeaway from all of my rambling. <laughs> yeah. It's a bible for for a pattern of what marriage should, in all places and all times, be. Okay, yeah, uh, but I do look into it for important principles that are applicable in every human relationship, right? Our marriages, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's fair and good. Um, I for, I think I see what you're saying, and I think it would be naive to ignore uh, marriage as a human institution and the ways that that has evolved over time, um, the way that like human um, institutions have kind of inserted themselves into individual marriages. Um, Like, so while I hold to a traditional uh, view of marriage, I am pro-government, legislation that would allow for same-sex couples to be married because it's not as soon as the government got involved it's it's no longer about marriage before god it's i get tax benefits because i married my wife why shouldn't
0: i'm in the hospital like right why
1: shouldn't these two men or these two women have those same rights like that that's silly um so yeah we we should do that um but i as i look at scripture. I guess what I see is um, I think of uh, like Ephesians 5 where uh, Paul is talking about marriage and um, he says um, this mystery that I refer to is of Christ and the church. And so that marriage in some way is supposed to reflect the relationship that Christ has with the church. Something that I've been wrestling with recently is like what is the role of uh, procreation in marriage? Like, I think in modern times we've kind of like, that's secondary, to, you know? Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be or not. I think, you know, I could think about early generation or early like civilization and that being more important than it is now, but also in, in God's design and view, is it supposed to be a part of it, uh, a part of that, that picture? Um, and that the Bible does in in this positive view, this positive look at marriage as a picture of Christ and the Church, that it is the the male female dichotomy um, that is presented. Now, maybe that's the only categories the the writers of that time had to to work with, or or what have you. Um, but that's just kind of the the continued arc of the story that I see. In short, I could do, I'm sure, a better job of explaining this, but um, that's kind of the arc that I see. um, And for that reason, and others, like that's kind of where I land on, this is God's intention for marriage, um, for human sexuality. um, And so, I guess in God's ideal design, that is how sexuality and marriage is, is lived out is between a man and a woman. That's kind of the, where I'm at. I do have questions that I ask myself about that view, um, which is some of them you brought up, like poly- polygamy. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it is God's ideal. And yet it's not looked down upon at some, sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Uh Sometimes at a particular level, like when you get to hundreds of wives, then it's like clearly been a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But even like, uh, I had to look it up because I knew it was in there somewhere. Like God says to David in 2 Samuel 12, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. So like God is saying, I'm the one who gave you this. Like I got to wrestle with that a little bit. Um, Jesus himself says that like divorce was not, God's yeah. intention. But God allowed that for a time. Um, so we have these, uh, what I would say are like less than ideal lived out expressions of marriage and love that God seems to be making a way for this to happen. So so that is a thing I have to wrestle with. Uh, like, So what does that, how does that now, it, even if I want to, or if someone is willing to concede the argument that same sex relationships are are not God's original design or God's ideal or however you want to word that, um, is, does that mean that right. they are an abomination, as people would use? Or is there license and room for that and in some faithful yeah. way, the same way that David was a man after God's own heart and God gave him the wives of his masters, yet that also wasn't God's ideal? you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there definitely are. Like this brings to mind for me. I, I can't remember the name he gives it, but uh, that in the Stacy Johnson book, same-sex Re- or uh, a time to embrace. Like in his in his spectrum, he d- there is uh, one of the positions does a little bit. I think like what I hear maybe being hinted at in what you're saying, where there's space allowed for um, same-sex relationships and for affirming them on some level, not maybe the ideal, but as something that can still have some level of blessing and the best way to go given. The best thing to do given all given the realities of life are to bless them and affirm them in some in some fashion because this is the way is just the reality of it you know maybe that view would say same-sex attraction is not doesn't follow god's design but it's a reality of our world and given that it's a reality of our world we got to make some kind of space for it kind of like the way divorce is kind of made there's made space for it like this isn't really you know, sometimes depending on your tradition, remarriage. Sometimes, I mean, that, and there's that's a place some people land. But it's also that's that's one of those positions. Not that this is a definitive argument against something, but you're not going to make a lot of friends in that position. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, uh, the, the conservatives, the prohibitionists are not going to be happy with you. <laughs> and it also sucks to be a gay person. I'm sure. Like, I can't, I cannot speak for gay yeah, people. Yeah. If you're a gay person in a gay relationship, it sucks to hear. You know yours is not the ideal like yours yours isn't as good as mine, right
1: you know yours is,
0: is diminished in some way yeah yeah uh, I,
1: I and uh, yes, and I think that it's hard to uh, avoid that if that's the stance you're going to take uh, you can try to soften it, but at the
0: end of the day that's what you get what's yeah, what you saying. yeah
1: and and I, like it is in my nature to want to soften that um and and like I don't think. This is what I think bothers me about really the stance that I have is that um, there is a presumed and it's impossible to escape. And I don't think the blame is put on those who object to me. I think it just is by nature of the position. This is what it is that Mm. I, by default, am saying that my relationship with my wife is ideal. Or is more ideal, at least, than th- that right. between two men, or, or like a, a parallel argument is that you know the those who would say who would quote Paul as saying homosexual
0: will not inherit the kingdom of God, as if all heterosexuals will. Yeah, or as if you were like not greedy one moment and and gracious the next. Right. Like, but but that would that gets into a whole new thing about what we really mean by the kingdom of God and inherit. Right. Right. Again, another episode.
1: Yes. Um, but so like i by being uh heterosexual in my orientation i i am sinful still in my sexuality right so th- there's like this the way that we often christians and uh non-affirming to use that broad umbrella term non-affirming christians the way they we often talk about our sexuality or about sexuality is that the only sin is that which gay people do, not my own sexual sin, um, which happens in a variety of different ways that happens within my mind, but also happens in my body as well. Um, and so I I I want to avoid that um, while still holding <laughs> a traditional sexual ethic, which, as you say, like, I will make very few friends based on that, uh, maybe in spite of it, but it, certainly not because of it yeah sure.
0: well can, can i ask you like yeah. where in what sense do you think that like how do you identify what is traditional in a sexual ethic like when you say like a traditional how do you how do you determine this is traditional
1: um i well i think one it's just become an easy shortcut like to talk about it. i think when i say that it's just because i think people recognize what i'm talking about uh but I do think it's important to answer the question that you actually asked because to label something as traditional is to kind of give it a weight or, or a power. This has been, to my knowledge, the the majority view of the church for the majority of the church. And so that's kind of where I, I get to traditional through that sense.
0: Yeah. And I think that's I think that's fair in some ways. That's um that John Boswell book, Same Sex Unions in Pre Modern Europe gets into complicates the picture a little bit yeah. and i think in some compelling ways um but there there definitely is a some kind of a consensus in most of christian history there's a there's a consistent yeah there's a consistent prohibitionist tendency in christian history when it comes to same-sex uh relationships for sure um but there's also pretty consistent like anti-semitism in christian history too right and I, I guess I look at like heteronormativity and homophobia kind of the same way as I would look at anti-Semitism in the history of the church mm. at this at this point, and um, as 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 mistakes. And and and, and the thing is, like, I, I'm kind of with Ilya Delio and Richard Rohr, kind of, uh, and and others are, who say that we might be in the infancy of the church mm. right now. Like, right. We, we might still be in early Christianity or just like adolescence, you know? Yeah. Uh, 2,000 years is it's a long time, but it's also not yeah. in, in some ways. All this to say, like, one of the things I learned in at Cairn and in seminary and since about tradition, and this is another thing that, this is another piece of the puzzle. You've got what to do with the scripture piece, and you've got what to do with the tradition piece. Right. But that tradition is not the handing down of a fixed thing. In an untransformed manner from one yeah, yeah. generation to another. Like, it's never been that. It's always been a, a conversation, an evolution. There's been transformation the whole way. It's not been hermetically sealed from other religious traditions, yeah. other philosophical traditions. We wouldn't have the Council of Nicaea if we didn't have Greek philosophy. We wouldn't have the Book of Acts if we didn't have some Greek philosopher theologians that you know Paul's quoting, like "In Him we move and live and move and have our being," like positively as able to be ascribed to Paul's God. Right. That was not from Paul. I forget the other Greek philosopher, but a curious. You know, I, I I can't maybe I can't yeah. remember, but all that to say, like there's there's an there's an evolution of what this Christian thing is from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, like one of the cool books that I worked on. Last year, because uh, I'm a book editor, not every listener probably will know that. But I'm a book editor for Baker Academic, and one and one book that I worked on last year is um, it was called From Christ to Christianity. Mm. Uh, but James Edwards is the author. It's a pretty cool book, and he, the basic premise of the book is he says that in the first 75 years after Jesus's death, the church changed more than mm. it did in the in all of the years after that. Mm. up till today, that there was just, there was a massive amount of of change yeah. going on within that first century. And he talks about that on on a ton, on many levels, he goes from rural to urban communities, from primarily Jewish to Gentile, and on, on all of these things interweave. This is a constantly evolving thing, that tradition is always responding to itself, it's always responding to other factors, and that, so to me, increasingly, um, to be traditional does not mean to do what our forebears did. Well, in some ways it does. It mean it doesn't mean to say what our forebears said. It means to do what our forebears right. did. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's to 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 work things out in dialogue with our predecessors, with the with the experiences of our with our own experience yeah. and the experience of other of our contemporaries yeah. to figure out like what this Jesus following is in this time and place. Because just because they you know they did their best in their time and place. Yeah. We're going to do our best in our time and place. We're not going to do it perfectly. They didn't do it perfectly. But to be traditional means to join that, yeah. to join in the effort.
1: Yeah, I, I I can appreciate that for sure. I, I I like that. And I think in a lot of ways, I'm uh, very much on board with that. Um, just to like uh, bullet point a couple of, of things that you mentioned in there, you likened and I don't want to like harp on the analogy because every comparison falls apart at some point. But like you compared uh, the anti-Semitism being traditional to uh, like homophobia or, or heteronormativity uh, being traditional. And I, I think in some sense, that's fair and a fair comparison to make and and probably need to re- as Christians, we need to wrestle with that and what to do with that. Um, but I also I, I feel like anti-Semitism is harder to get to through scripture. Not that you can't do it but i think you'd have to read scripture and be like i don't like these guys yeah i mean jesus being a jew really complicates it (laughs) it does um and yeah and i think you know paul paul you really wrestle with paul and he is not looking to supersede the jews so much as include gentiles into this one family of god um so i think that there's a difference there um which is not like a doesn't mean that's that's a fair point. I, def- I definitely grant that. Um, so uh, that was one of the things that you said. But I do think uh, I th- and maybe because because of the cultural moment that we're in, mixed with my personality, it's easy for me to hold this view that I hold humbly. Uh, but I think we the the points that you raise are reasons why we should hold whatever view that we hold with a a sense of humility um when you bring up that christianity uh changed the most in those first 75 years we see that happen in scripture that uh paul writes to the church in jerusalem and says what should these gentiles do and it's like don't eat don't have sex uh or abstain from sexual immorality don't eat uh, meat, sacrifice to idols, and blah, maybe one or two more things. And right. um, then in Romans, Paul's like, you want to eat meat, sacrificed to an idol? Do it. That's fine. Like, we see that shift happening in Scripture, that this thing that is tra- the traditional view of the church is being upended before we're even done with Scripture. And, Radically, yeah. So and the
0: inclusion and- of Gentiles is the, is the biggest one. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah.
1: And so so I think we do have to wrestle with that. We talked about some of the sexual norms uh, of scripture and the way that sexuality is treated in scripture that that is evolving and changing. Um and then it we can't divorce that from the way that even if we say well when scripture ended that's what we're left with we have to do that that we don't do that. And I think divorce is one of the areas that uh, you kind of alluded to where we don't do that. That Jesus speaks pretty clearly I think on divorce and yet than he speaks on same-sex relationships for sure and we i don't think that we hold jesus's words to the same level that we hold the presumed teaching on same-sex relationships of the bible and so so we have to wrestle with that and engage in that um and i do think that we are told in scripture that the law is love and so uh, you mentioned how you know the the view that you were kind of inherited when you entered Christianity, same one that I grew up with, said that well this is not good for those who are engaging in same sex relationships, and so it is loving to do that. And I like you said, I'm willing to grant the um, the kind heartedness of the people who like the well intentioned, let's say, nature of that, but I don't think we can ignore the perception of those who are being loved in that way um if it if consistently your words your actions and your treatment of others is by others not considered loving i think you have to do some introspection on that um oh agreed a thousand percent yeah so so i'm and i think um Going back to my conversation with Bridget Eileen Rivera, episode fifty-five, uh, and the the kind of argument that she's making in the book, she touches on um, at, at the end of that book. She talks about baptism and the way that baptism was viewed in the early church. And right now, you know, our church we are like an adult bap- a believer's baptism. That um, it you know, when you make that choice of of faith, then you can be baptized. Uh, I grew up in the Methodist church. I was baptized as a baby. Um, and I think there are legitimate reasons to do both of those. But our church, you know, we've made a stance. And um, and I think I'm fine with that. And we don't look at churches who hold it differently as being like less than or as being in sin or even in error. That they just have have made a different like interpretation. And so there's very, that's like a low low tension disagreement right now but that hasn't always been the case that as no, as she no, no. uh as bridget looks at the history of baptism that it was literally something christians killed each other over at one point mm-hmm. and so um you know this conversation same sex relationships is one that people are heated about and feel very strongly about and i i i can understand on both sides why that would be the case but i do think we have to that's where i think the humility of knowing history comes in and the humility of recognizing that maybe we're not the culmination of the church but like you mentioned others Mm -hmm. maybe we're still in the infancy stages and there is more evolving coming and um you know maybe i'm wrong and in maybe in a 100 years my position is untenable in the church i recognize that that is a possibility and so i'm not Mm -hmm. trying to beat people over the head with it right now because I don't think that's loving. And I, I don't think that it's my job to do that. Um, Last thing that I'll say, and then I'll give you a chance for like closing thoughts or rebuttals or whatever. Um, (laughs) I, the story of Zacchaeus um, is one that really speaks to me uh, on a variety of topics, but I, this one particularly, because I think for a lot of people, a lot of Christians, Uh, A lot of evangelical Christians, um, gay and lesbian and trans Christians are um, viewed the same way as early Jews would have viewed tax collectors as kind of anathema, as uh, traitorous, as irredeemable. And the interaction that Jesus has with Zacchaeus is one of radical inclusion, one of uh, Jesus is the initiator of of that relationship. And when Jesus loves Zacchaeus enters into that relationship with him, we get no recording of Jesus telling Zacchaeus what he was doing was wrong. And you need to stop if you want me to come over, or if you want another dinner party with me, we do see a radical transformation in Zacchaeus, but that happened out of relationship, not out of condemnation or whatever. And so if, even if I'm right, that about sexuality people won't change because i'm right they won't change because i'm telling them what they need to do god that is up to the work of the spirit to initiate any change i see my role as initiating relationship and genuine Mm -hmm. loving relationship and whatever the spirit of god wants to do in that the spirit of god will do in that
0: it's tough though because like you pointed out at the beginning this is an issue that you don't that the, it doesn't really allow us to be neutral for very long. You know, you, people are going to come to your church, um, and want to be married, you know, and you're either going to say yes or no. Um, and you know, people are, or or let's say a married gay couple is going to come to your church and they're going to, you know, if they're having, if they're struggling in their marriage, if they need support, you know, are, and they want support and they reach out to the church community, are they going to get the kind of support Mm -hmm. that, a heterosexual couple is going to get. I hear you about th- this. Is where I probably have a different view from from Bridget Eileen Rivera. But baptism, it feels like it's an ish- It's it's a it's a difference of how we perform a sacrament, and one church can do it one way, and another church can do it another way. But I don't know that that discriminates between people in the way that are the decisions that we make regarding same-sex relationships do Hmm. discriminate between people. And that's why it it does feel like a very, I mean, I think it's a very weighty issue, which is not to say that like, I I think we should be able to have like gracious conversations about it. Mm -hmm. I I think like one of the things that like, I hope this conversation does is, is be a model for people about how, Hey, like there are people who are um, like in a prohibitionist stance who are very loving, well-meaning people. And you have genuine questions that need to be dealt with. I think prohibitionists need to be aware of like where it's where it's okay to ask those questions and of whom. Right. And, and this and this difference. This was something that struck me in in churches too, because when I was in when I was in seminary, I had two I had two um, internships, two field placements. The first one was at Trinity Episcopal Church in Princeton. Which is right, right across the parking lot from the seminary library, okay, yeah. and that was the first like affirming church I really had experience in. And I was surprised to find there when I was an intern that like just in meetings with congregants that like they just didn't have the time of day for Christians who weren't affirming. Yeah, yeah, and that and I didn't know how to think about that at first, but like I heard it from um, I don't remember exactly what the words were, but I was in a church meeting with uh, a guy. He and his and this was twenty. 2012, 2013, I think. it's 20, 2013. Um, so it was before the Obergefell case. It was before marriage uh, equality became national, became law. Uh, the Episcopal Church at the time had a blessing for same-sex unions, but I don't know if it... I can't remember if it was, like, officially a marriage ceremony yet. Okay. I think that may have been still in the evolution at that time. Yeah. It, it does now, of course. Um, but... At the time, I think they had, like, a blessing ceremony that was maybe a little different, but don't quote me on that. Um, he, But this this man and his partner, they had been together for, like, 30, 40 years. Like, we're, they were senior members of the congregation, and um, I, I don't remember exactly how it went, but they just didn't have the time of day for dealing with, like, conservative questions about whether it's okay to... You know, have a same-sex relationship or affirm a same-sex relationship, and uh, it made me think a lot. And I, and I realized, I think it made me realize. And I've been a part of a number of affirming churches since then. Um, that when you're when you're a church congregation, you just you make that decision to be to say we are going to support and affirm this. Just like when you're an indiv- if you're an individual person, at a certain point, you have to stop litigating the case. You have to stop. Like, it's not. It's not beneficial for your ministry to always ask to be like, okay, let's keep this question open about whether we should love and affirm these people, you know, because obviously there are differences of opinion. So let's keep it open. At a certain point, like your ministry has to be about loving and supporting these people. Like the questions that you ask have to shift from should we to how do we?
1: Thank you, Alex DeMarco, for joining me on this conversation. Thank you for that challenge. As I said to him after that, I'm just going to continue to sit in that tension. Uh, Hopefully, this conversation has been edifying to you. Uh, Again, check out the resources in the show notes uh, to continue to read up and listen on this subject. Patrons be sure that you are listening to the bonus episode that Alex and I recorded and if you are not a patron consider doing so. Head over to patreon.com/thinkingoutloudpod and for as little as $2 a month you will get two bonus episodes every month. Until next time.